My podcast aims to challenge young men to think about their mental health, specifically in New Zealand. Using my personal experience with mental health as a teenage boy in New Zealand, I aim to get those to think about what those experiences can be like and to help them learn a thing or two about men's mental health. By taking a walk through the front lines and talking to different people about how they overcame their battles. This is a trigger warning, as the following content contains dark themes such as suicide and detailed conversations about the consequences of poor mental health. of Otago is embarking on an ambitious research project to better understand the mental health impact of the Christchurch mosque attacks. It has taken its toll on the victims, not only physically, but also emotionally and psychologically. It's diagnosed as clinically depressed. I'm not like clinical like that. Like I think my natural state is probably very happy. Just a lot of stuff's happened in the past two years that kind of means that it's not. For me, I'd, I didn't really have any sort of bad mental health at all up until a point in year 11. I, I was never sad for more than an hour type thing, like I was the happiest little kid you'd see. My day-to-day work mean, is all about supporting young men's mental health and well-being. Life felt like a time bomb and I was craving that final explosion. stood there tall and slim when I was just six. Those around me scared him away, but I wasn't sure how to do it myself. So he came back, the tall shadow. He struck me with guilt, sadness, and that feeling in your stomach that doesn't go away. The tall man wants me to give up, but I won't let him. From filling me with bad emotion to taking them all away. The blunt feeling of nothing was caused by him and with those sweaty palms. He has me on strings like a puppet and controls my every move. And it scares me to think, will those strings ever break? I would say that the proportion of young men today who have had ongoing emotional disturbance since the earthquake is low, what we find is more often that there would have been something that happened that they might not have even been conscious of and that They've reached adolescence and something else has happened that have triggered some of the predisposing factors. I think that cumulative exposure to adverse events is very real path to poor mental health, especially for youth in the wider Canterbury um, region. There's really good research. We know that the more um, exposure you have to adverse events, so... In Christchurch, we can look at things like the earthquake, we can look at the mosque shooting, we can look now at the pandemic, that our stress response systems that can become overloaded by cumulative exposure to those things, and then that does have a significant impact on mental health and can trigger poor mental health. Most most commonly, what we would see are things like anxiety and depression, but we also have like like high rates of um, post-traumatic stress disorder. I don't know, it's so crazy how different my life would have been or if the same things would have happened if I did it, if I wasn't here for the earthquakes, you know? 
there are so many different causes to mental health and although mine started quite young for so many other people it was at such a different age and for so many different reasons you know for me I didn't really have any sort of bad mental health at all up until a point in year 11 I I was never sad for more than an hour type thing like I was the happiest little kid you'd see just when it got into kind of school work getting more important and as well as that starting to go out to parties and I don't know being more social with girls and then other people is when I kind of started falling falling down. Like I was never really aware of what mental health was or that people could be unhappy. Like I don't know, I just never really experienced unhappiness as a child. And then after that, kind of everything just started happening and then I became, yeah, it was the difference between something that's probably clinical and something that's, like I don't think that I have anything probably neurologically wrong with me. Or not wrong, yeah. but you know, like ah, yeah. some people don't really have like serotonin produce anything. Like I'm not like clinical like that. Like I think... My natural state is probably very happy. Just a lot of stuff's happened in the past two years that kind of means that it's not. uh, We absolutely know for a fact that there is no one path to depression. We absolutely know for a fact that there is no one path to even things like post-traumatic stress disorder. Yeah. Yeah. We know that there are multiple paths to those things. Experiences that lead one person to depression, someone else can have those exact same experiences and they won't end up with depression and we know that that's because what happens to us impacts our mental health but also personal factors and family factors influence our pathway to mental health as well it's not the answer people want to hear people want to know that there are distinct pathways to this and if there was it would make all this like mental health crisis that we have so much easier to deal with But humans are complex, and if it was that simple, we would have figured this out by now, and there wouldn't be mental health problems. But there's beauty and complexity, but there's also vulnerability. So what can create really good stuff can also lead to really poor mental health as well. And I guess as a psychologist, that's always what I'm trying to figure out when I see people. What, what, What has happened to you? And what is going on within you that has led you to be where you are today? I don't really have any knowledge about mental health at all up until year 11. And then year 11 kind of, I don't know, briefly probably had a few mental health problems. But then kind of year 12 was really, really started for me. And I think it's definitely the effect of school as well as social life. Getting to that part of high school kind of just... Socially, you become you, you you go out to more things. You end up being involved with more things if it's parties and whatnot. And I guess I think year twelve is when it really, really hit me. And that was when I probably had my worst episodes. I guess the amount of causes to different mental health issues can just cause more problems when it comes to recognizing that you're falling into one of these negative states of mind. The first thing, kind of, when I noticed that. I'm kind of going in, in or out of kind of a depression episode would probably be the waking up in the mornings and sit up in bed and just like, be like, fuck, I just don't want to go to school. And your threshold for taking shit has just gone down past the floor and like someone says something so small and you just go off at them. The first thing that makes me realise, yeah, I'm kind of back in a, in a shitty kind of mental spot again. Just the motivation just dies, I guess. 
just the simple things that I love, just like even on a Saturday morning when I got a basketball game, like I want to go play it, but I just like can't be fucked. I just just feel like shit, just don't want to, I guess, realise when it's just I start making excuses for little things. Experiences of overwhelm, of strong, either really strong emotion and not knowing what to do with it or how to tolerate it, and then also the converse, like no emotion and numbness and a feeling of emptiness and not knowing what to do about it. And sometimes um, those experiences in one day, fluctuations in those experiences, and um, I guess difficulty trying to make sense of it as well and not understanding what it means or being able to tolerate it. That period of time when you recognise that you start to fall into one of those unhealthy states but it's where you can feel most isolated and you don't know what to do about it I always imagined it as if it was a pit or like a hole and that period of time when you're falling you feel like there's nothing you can do about it to get out but you don't always need to hit the bottom of the pit Sometimes you can get some help and that can be the hardest part, but it can also break the fall. I just don't feel comfortable talking about it because I don't want people to look at me any differently. Even in a counsellor setting, even though it's one-on-one and completely confidential, even that just like scared the shit out of me. But I guess, yeah, mid-year 12 is when I went to see the school counsellor. It, it, t- it took me a while, like the first couple of sessions, I'd, I couldn't really open up. I was just scared. But then, I don't know, three weeks, four weeks into it, I started opening up, and it's probably one of the better things I've done because psychologists know what they're talking about. Like, you can talk to your mate, and they can give you a lot of help, but there's a point where they can't help you anymore. So I feel like seeing a counsellor is very beneficial. Everyone's mental health journey is so non-linear and so different from each other, but so many people have that point where they come to the realisation like, fuck, I am so unwell. I used to think of swamps. I was sinking into a swamp sometimes because I remember I felt trapped. And I remember remember saying that to, I think, my mum. I remember just looking at myself in the mirror one day and just being like, what the fuck are you doing with your life? Super skinny at that point, super depressed. I just remember looking at myself being like, what the fuck is going on with you? And it was, there was a moment where I was up in my room at night and it was maybe, I'd, be, I'd, I'd been in a shitty state for about three, four months. And I was just like crying in my room at about 2am on a school night, just thinking about, like, I don't actually want to be here anymore. Like, I don't have the motivation to get up in the morning. I don't have any, I, I don't want to even leave school. Like, I don't, like, nothing about my future actually excites me enough to stay here. Like, I just kind of want to kill myself and that was when I was like yeah I, I, I need to talk to someone because if I don't then it's just going to get worse. I cut myself off from all deep relationships. I just felt really guilty. I was just such a failure of a person and just kind of like being by myself. When you're, when you're in the mud you know you actually don't care. When I was at my lowest like I, I just wanted to help. I always imagine like a huge like tall man like just like looming over me you know oh, wow. I remember learning about 
the Navy SEALs, how we can, how there was this bell and they could just give up at any time and it would all be over for them. And so many of them stuck it out, but so many of them didn't. And I related that to how I was feeling at the time and how easy it would be to just give up and let go, but how many people around me might be feeling the same but are sticking it out. The final bell. The bell rings and they all stare. I had given up, yet the pain wasn't there. My suffering had stopped, but started for so many around me. Those who cared, loved, worried became heartbroken, and yet those who disliked, envied, and had rage, had lost a part of themselves too. Does it really matter? I was merely a footprint in the sand, and once the tide came in, those who had been imprinted would no longer remember. The bell had been rung and the soldiers looked around. Surprised and unexpected, some didn't understand but others saw the difficulties that came with the fight. It gets to the point in the story when you're so drained and it gets past the point of being depressed, it's consumed your whole personality and changed who you really are. I remember like the shows I was watching on TV I loved them because I could relate to them so much and I was sleeping all the time my whole personality was revolved around it was controlled by the depression I don't understand how people live it's amazing to me that people wake up every morning and say yeah another day let's do it how do people do it I don't know how so I stopped at a jack-in-the-box on the way here, and the girl behind the counter said, Hiya, are you having an awesome day? Not, how are you doing today? No, are you having an awesome day? Which is pretty shitty, because it puts the onus on me to disagree with her. Like, if I'm not having an awesome day, suddenly I'm the negative one. Usually when people ask how I'm doing, the real answer is I'm doing shitty. But I can't say I'm doing shitty because I don't even have a good reason to be doing shitty. So if I say, I'm doing shitty, then they say, why, what's wrong? And I have to be like, I don't know, all of it. So instead, when people ask how I'm doing, I usually say, I am doing so great. I remember there was like a week where it was probably like the worst week in my life. And I just got up. Uh, I would go to school. I would come home. I will go to bed at like four and just like stay in bed. I had to get up for school the next day and I'd sleep for like 16 hours. I don't know, like it just shows that you don't really want to be there if... The only thing you want to be doing is being unconscious, you know? I feel like I always want to sleep. My body just feels lethargic and just tired. Like, I just, just don't have the energy to kind of do the same things I usually do. You know it's making you worse, but it's kind of you don't have the motivation or energy to kind of do anything about it. The one thing I feel like happens when you're in those low points is just your mind constantly over and over again telling yourself that no one actually does care about you. If you see the boy I used to be, could you tell him that I'd like to find him? And if you see the shell that's left of me, could you spare him a little kindness? I remember used to thinking like I was just a shell of my former self. I don't cry now, but there was like a six month period where I just cried all the time. And I like just 
was really sensitive about everything and I just remember being like, I don't think I'm ever going to get back to the point where I once was. You know it's not the right thing to do, but you just can't, like, it seems like it's just the easiest thing to do, you know? My depression doesn't hit me like a sledgehammer out of nowhere. And neither does it leave, like, with sudden relief, like waking up from a nightmare. It creeps in and then it creeps away again. It's like taking a painkiller for a headache. You don't know the instant your headache's gone, you just realise it's been gone a while. Yeah, well, it's crazy to think about, because, like, one different move and I would have done it. And then that's a year, like, that, 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 that's, that was a year ago. And then, boom, I'm not here anymore. And then, oh, I think about in those situations is, like, I do it. And then what happens? Like, my pain goes away, but I'm not here anymore, but then it just brings on pain for everyone else in your life. I don't feel comfortable talking about my own mental health issues because I think it's common with boys that um, we're scared that people end up looking at us differently and then they'll go on to treating us differently. And the last thing I kind of want is for like my best mates, my the close people, treat me differently. That's what I feel like comes with sharing your feelings. Kind of just that people have a different perception on you. And I feel like that's a lot more common with boys than it is with girls. Just We're just a lot less comfortable because we're scared of what people may think of us. It's not really the kind of trying to hold up the masculine side that we are supposed to, as people say, hold up. It's like I, I don't care if people see me as, I don't know, someone who likes to share their feelings it's more I just don't want to be looked at differently like sometimes people say not doing so well but they just want their friends to carry on being their friends and treating them the way they were and not wrap them in cotton wool and I think there's a fear that you will be treated differently that maybe you won't be included in the same way you were before or people will talk differently around you or do things differently and I think still some people carry a lot of shame um, when they're going through hard times or um, suffering from mental health difficulties, that they there's still those um, inadvertent messages out there that you should be strong and you should be able to just get over it yourself. And so there's a deep level of shame, especially for young men who are expected to be strong and keep going. It's it's not a shameful thing to be having a hard time. We know, and we know really well, that there are boys here at this school that could benefit from professional help. And we know that they're not coming up here to see us because they're embarrassed and they're ashamed. What I see is actually a lot of changes in the way um, we approach mental health for boys and boys approaching their own mental health. Not so long ago we were still hearing all those messages around harden up, toughen up, just get on with it. But what I notice and what I observe in this job is more and more boys talking openly about how they're feeling, about normalising that we all have difficult times in our life, normalising that it's okay to reach out for help. And what I see is boys supporting each other and making it okay to not be okay. I think one of the biggest negative impacts is related to the flow of information that you receive and the messages you receive, largely via social media, about what constitutes an ideal young man. And I think many of the messages that are portrayed through social media about what constitutes the ideal young man are unachievable. And so then you're chasing the impossible dream. A poem. Original, obviously. It's called... The view from halfway down. <clears throat> the weak breeze whispers nothing. 
The water screams sublime. His feet shift, teeter-totter. Deep breath, stand back, it's time. Toes untouch the overpass. Soon he's waterbound. Eyes locked shut but peek to see. The view from halfway down. A little wind, a summer sun, a river rich and regal. A flood of fond endorphins brings a calm that knows no equal. You're flying now. You see things much more clear than from the ground. It's all okay? It would be. Were you not now halfway down? Thrashed to break from gravity. What now could slow the drop? All I'd give for toes to touch the safety back at top. But this is it. The deed is done. Silence drowns the sound. Before I leaped, I should have seen the view from halfway down. No, I really should have thought about the view from halfway down. I wish I could have known about the view from halfway down. The scariest thing, I think, mental health is the fact I've known, I've seen it in myself and I've seen it in others, is that you can go through a whole day of school and everyone thinks you're perfectly fine. You can just put on a whole new persona and everyone thinks you're perfectly fine. And then you go home, go to bed, and just cry for hours. And no one has no clue. And it's just scary. Because I definitely know there's definitely a lot of my mates who are probably going through similar things, but we just don't notice because everyone puts on a different persona when they're at school. I think the process for healing is so different for everyone. And such a different time frame. For me... I went on medication and one of the hardest bits was that first four to six weeks when I was kind of waiting to feel anything and it wouldn't come. But then you do start to see those kind of glimmers and victories, like very, very small victories which show that maybe it won't always be like how we think it's always going to be. I realised I was feeling better when I was out walking the dog one day and I realised I'd walked the thing 12 miles. And everything just, everything, I just, and I was perfectly happy doing that and it just felt good, you know? And this sounds weird, but everything looked normal again. <laughs> All the colours looked how they should be because depression kind of lowers the saturation on everything for me and everything just looked good and it just felt good. It was like the part of my brain that had conked out six months before had just spluttered back into life and all these, my excitement and motivation and appreciation of beauty, all this sort of thing, had suddenly started to come back online. What I see is this movement from a real stuckness, like not knowing, not understanding, not having any hope, to just gradual little glimmers over time of seeing a future, of seeing possibilities. I see little smiles on their faces. I see little glimmers in their eye. I see them talking about things without even realising that it's been a positive experience. I guess over time I just see them... Um, it's, it's like a story of hope that they might not see for themselves, but I see as they get better. I see them... Um, learning to relate to and respond to their thoughts and feelings in different ways, sometimes without realising and sometimes really consciously. If you're really happy, there's nothing that's forcing you to grow. Yeah, sure. But if you're, like, depressed, there's some impetus that's forcing you to look at yourself. If you're constantly living in a happy state, you're not really going to grow as a person. We're now aware of what, it, what actually does make you happy. 
and you probably and you probably know better now how to make yourself happy than you did oh, two years ago like when you're at that point in your life where you don't feel like there's anything to live for um the things that keep you alive show what's important to you Yet all experience is an arch where through gleams that untraveled world whose margin fades forever and forever when I move. Every time that you travel through like a, a, an experience, it transforms the world around you. Next bad thing that happens to me, I'm so much more well adjusted to actually like cope with it now. As kind of previously alluded to, there are so many ways that these battles can help you learn so much about yourself and what you stand for, what you believe in, and just learn a lot about the world. But it's not healthy to be in these states of mind, and no one wants to be in those states of mind. So hence why there are so many methods and ways that people can get help and different forms of help, depending on your current, your situation in particular. It is a bit mind-blowing, and especially when you're working to support people to regain mental health, knowing that everyone's pathway to where they are now has been different, which means there's, there is never a one-size-fits-all solution, as much as we might wish for that, because gosh, it would make life easier. Yeah. Um, so as a psychologist, um, I'm committed to evidence-based practice, which means that I look to the research as well as clinical experience to guide my decisions about what treatments work best. For um, depression and anxiety, we know that something called cognitive behaviour therapy is the most well-evidenced approach to um, helping people recover from and regain their mental health following depression and anxiety. That's um, a therapy approach that focuses in on people's thinking, on people's emotions, on people's behaviour and the things they feel within their body are the key components that we focus in on. Um, more recently, we've um, moved to what are called third wave cognitive behavioural therapies, things like ACT and DBT, and those also have a mindfulness component. And we uh, research and practice is showing us that those are the most effective approaches to um, helping people um, move out of depression and anxiety. When I first started my medication, it was really kind of, it was the hardest point in my life because it doesn't really, it, for me, it kicked in quite late and like eventually it did kick in, which was great, but the period of time when you're just waiting and waiting and waiting for something to change each day gets harder, you know? And um, that really created a struggle in my mind and it just created a mental fight to get through each day when you had these drugs which supposedly were meant to make you feel better and they weren't at the time and eventually they did which is great and I believe that medication along with psychotherapy is a combination which has really saved my life. 
I absolutely believe in the use of medication alongside psychotherapy. And what I should have said before when I talk about the gold standards for depression and anxiety is that it is both CBT and medication that is the um, ultimate gold standard, that they work alongside each other. We don't necessarily have the best understanding of how medication works. In fact, recent research has like sort of exploded that up in the air again, but we do know um, time and time again that it, it has a really positive effect on people when it's used in conjunction with psychotherapy. The form of antidepressants and other kinds of medication can be pretty scary because there's a lot of questions which people don't necessarily know a confirmed answer to and that can be quite intimidating when you are starting one of these forms of treatment. And I know for me, I just wanted to get better and whatever would help was I was willing to do but does it, it's not a drug that just makes you the happiest person around all it really does is take the edge off life a bit uh, it can cut off some of the highs but it cuts off the lows as well which is where it can help it can it has helped a lot of people in this world and it's one of the most common forms of treatment along with psychotherapy so it's very recommended but I wouldn't just jump into it for me I think it would have been I mean I've always kind of seen a counsellor but it got to a point where she was like I think you should go see your doctor about a form of medication because the psychotherapy wasn't really doing enough and it just gives you that extra help to get back to a baseline of serotonin production which can you know, help your daily function. I take SSRIs myself. Yeah. yeah. Um, they help me function well in life and they keep me well. My doctor doesn't really understand why and I don't really understand why. We know it's got something to do with serotonin, but we don't really know why or what it is that's wrong with my serotonin, but we know that it helps. There are many forms of treatment for clinical depression and other mental illnesses but there are things which you can go about in your lifestyle which do just benefit your overall well-being for anyone who does these things such as exercise and relationships with others they are in my opinion the two things that have helped me the most think but then just like just constantly messenger just randomly just to like check up on you just things like that just like so you, you, your head knows that there are people who actually care about you that's why when it was like kind of you were in that it was a, a last term holidays that last week like just trying to just trying to message you and get you out as much as possible I guess trying to like just do stuff with you because I know for myself if I'm in that situation if someone's not trying to like spend time with me then I'm just I just won't Know what I mean? But then if they do, then I know it'll, be, it'll, it'll benefit me like heaps. Sometimes it can just come back down to doing things that have made you happy, which maybe don't aren't giving you happiness at the time, but if you keep doing them and stick with them, it does deep down give you some sense of emotion, which each time you do it, it will help you come back to that state more and more and more each time and slowly build up that emotion that you've always felt 
towards maybe that hobby or thing that you enjoy doing. There are many contacts you can reach out to if maybe you're lacking one of these areas or need some extra help or even if listening to my podcast has made you realise something about your own mental health or maybe helped you connect the dots between what's been going on in your life and why you might be feeling the way you're feeling. My aim for sharing these journeys is to try show those people who need to hear it that they're not alone and give them a few tips about what can help them. And I believe a few ways can be the forms of treatment that I referred to before, such as medication, psychotherapy, and then these forms of treatment can really benefit one person's well-being. And if you are experiencing some of the things talked about more previously in the podcast, when those stories were being told about the dark days or low points, I really encourage you to reach out and try seek these forms of help or make these kind of changes in your life. Thank you very much for listening and I hope you've learned a thing or two from these people so willing to share their vulnerable stories. Ow, crap, I hate this. Running is terrible. Everything is the worst. Oh my god. Oh my god. It gets easier. Huh? Every day it gets a little easier. Yeah? But you gotta do it every day. That's the hard part. But it does get easier. Okay. I sleep in Another day Thank you for taking a walk through the front line with me and listening to those brave people who are so willing to share their stories for the benefit of others. I really hope you've benefited from listening to my podcast and have learnt something, whether it's letting you know you aren't alone in your struggle or some tips on how you can benefit your mental health positively. I would just like to reinforce that if anything from listening to this podcast has affected you, there are contacts and sources of help you can access. For example, need to talk free to call or text at 1737. Youthline, free call at 0800 37 or free text at 234. Or if you would like an alternative web chat at www.youthline.co.nz. If you need more immediate in-person mental health support, please arrange to see your GP in the first instance. They are the best source of immediate support and can refer you to other services if need be. If you find yourself needing urgent care, you can contact the following emergency mental health services directly. 
Child Adolescent and Family Emergency, free phone at 0800 218 219. Crisis Resolution, free phone at 0800 920 092. If it is an emergency, or you or someone you know is an immediate risk, call 111.